Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Emily Wolf is a guitar player. She's also an incredible singer. She's a great songwriter. She's a fantastic performer. But man, there's something about the way she plays guitar. It's visceral. It is so... People use words like muscular to describe guitar players who rock, like really rock. And I guess that is one of the words you could use to describe the way Emily Wolf plays guitar, but um, she makes the guitar into more than you think it could be. She communicates with her guitar playing in a way that, to me, puts her in a rank of musicians that's right at the very top, true virtuosos of their craft. It's kind of incredible that on top of that also, she's able to sing like she does and write like she does. What's more incredible was discovering all of this after having met her, and she's kind of quiet, she's kind of unassuming, she's got a sly sense of humor, she's not bombastic in any way, she doesn't take over a room, she doesn't chew up scenery, but good God, when she has a guitar in her hands, there's no one bigger, louder, frankly cooler than Emily Wolf. We spoke from her home in Austin, Texas, via, of course, the Ethernet cable that is our virtual human connection these days. I was so glad to get to talk with her and reconnect with her and to welcome her to Wheels Off, Emily Wolf. Welcome to Wheels Off, Emily Wolf. Thanks for having me. I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked. Where where are you for the edification of our listeners? I live in Austin, Texas, um, down south. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a it's a spot. It's uh, I love it. You know, I'm not a huge fan of Texas itself, but I love Austin. 
Yeah, I, Austin's my favorite part of Texas too, for sure. Yeah. Um, guys, so I love it. We're we're um, conversing via internets and obviously these days, but um, I love being able to see behind you. You got all your hollow bodies in there. I see maybe an SG. Yeah, got all these. All these guitars, Epiphones. You're like the face of Epiphone. I love it. Thanks. Well, I'm. I'm trying. You know. And you're such an incredible guitarist that. I mean, I could see how they'd be grateful to have you. Oh. Um, so let me know, okay, what creative project are you working on right now, if any? And uh, how is it hopefully lighting you up? Okay, so right now I'm working on my next full-length record. Um, I've been writing it pretty much all of quarantine and, you know, since all of this started and it's coming together. I think, you know, it's helped me get through the lack of touring and live shows. That's like my favorite part of this career. So, but um, yeah, I'm just, you know, writing and doing demos and going to go out next week and record it in LA. Um, really? So, yeah. Um, actually, one of the songs that you and I wrote together is going to be on it. Woo! Hot damn. And I'm so excited. Everybody, everybody on my team loves that song, and they're like, let's do it. Let's cut it. So I'm like, all right. Um, so yeah, cool. going to go out and um, do that in L.A. And going to going to drive? I'm going to fly. Uh, but, yeah, I have flown since all of this started, and it's, it's actually not bad. Um, people keep, they seem to keep their distance, you know, got the masks, got the and Sandy. Yeah. yeah. Um, what? So you say you've been able to write during quarantine. How how has that been? Is it has it been hard? Has it been weird? Did you have to get past a like I don't know the anxiety to write, or is it like is this a fertile time for you? Sounds like. You know, it started off. I was just not a, really accepting that I couldn't <laughs> play live. I was like, "There's no way this is gonna." be the next year of my life but a couple months passed by and i just i just sat down and accepted that okay writing is what i have to do now um writing and polishing off songs that i've had for a while um and I, like honestly i i don't yeah writing gives me a ton of anxiety so oh. it's almost like I don't know. It's it. It just feels scary because it the. How do I even say it? The, the possibility of writing something that sucks is <laughs> very real to me. Like I'm pretty scared of it. So, um, yeah. There's a lot of anxiety around it, but I've just had to kind of wrap my head around that this is what it's going to be for the next. <laughs> what it's going to be for the next couple. Uh, couple months and you know until touring comes back um yeah god it's i i mean i think about the, maybe that this is the case for the old 97s too is that we're 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 very much like a live band right and yeah. when i think of you i love watching you play live and i i actually i, I really love your records i think that you are so gifted with writing not um 
not just riffs. I mean, I do think you have a, like an incredible, like supernatural gift for milking some super memorable hooky riff out of a guitar. Like, oh, I'm so jealous of that. Uh-huh. But um, but I do think that like top to bottom, like you write such great songs. But all that aside, I mean, I feel like you are, you know, one of the best live performers I've ever seen. Like watching you play and the way that you give so much and you're so committed to it. And like, it's like you have an on or an off, like you have one speed and it's all the way. Yeah. And I, I love that. And so when I think about what's happening right now, like some somebody like you, that's it's almost the worst because you're right at the beginning of such a promising career and so much of it is i'm sorry am i depressing <laughs> no honestly this is great i'm i'm like i just it means a lot to me what you're saying i'm just so i'm so happy that you see how important live stuff is to me because i noticed that a lot of people around me you know they're like oh i miss live music but it's like no it's a different level for me it's an entire life change you know i don't have that um, I don't get to go to that world anymore because uh, I do get to go to a different world when I'm performing and it's the best world in, like ever. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, no, it, me- it means a lot that you're, that you see it and you, you experience it too. It's, it's a part of the part of life that just isn't there anymore, you know, and it's going to come back. I know it will. Um, it's just a matter of when. When. God, I did a I did a get out the vote Zoom Zoom thing with um, a bunch of other musicians the other night, and John McRae from Cake was on there, and he's a really smart guy. I've always looked up to him, and I've enjoyed picking his brain until now. When um, I was saying, God, I wonder when we're gonna get to. Per-. We were all sort of saying, I wonder when we get to tour again, and John pipes up. He goes. Well, after the 1917 Spanish influenza outbreak, it was seven years before live music started again, and we were all just like, maybe. Can you mute yourself, John? <laughs> You're killing us. So sad. But, uh, you know, I mean, on the upside, in 1917, they have technology and all that all this stuff to bring it back sooner. So I have been hearing from people in the industry, like, it's going to come back in the spring of next year, maybe fall next year. So, like, I can hang on till then, you know? Um if I know when there's a, a time that it's going to roughly come back. Um, but there's been, you know, I did like a drive-in show, which was actually pretty fun. Um, I could, you know, I could do that. It's not going to be the same, but if that's how we have to do it, then I'm all for it, you know. Yeah, and that's how I feel about the online shows. It's like, okay, this is a, a pale approximation of the thing that I love, but it, thank God it's something. Yeah. Really, you're killing it. I love watching <laughs> your shows online. <laughs> um, so when I get the sense that you, like me, when you found music, it sort of like saved your life in a way. That's sort of how, when, when we've talked about it before, that was what I got. I just wonder what you remember about those earliest moments of realizing this is what you wanted to do. Like, was there an epiphany moment? How did that manifest itself in your life? Oh, that's a great question. Um <clears throat> Well, when I was very little, you know, six or seven, um, my family, you know, like my family was uprooted because of my dad's job. Um, he, he's managed a grocery store from the time that he was 18 
and he just retired like two years ago. Um, so he likes, you know, this is kind of, it, it's, it's not a crazy story, but basically like I, we moved for, you know, from, so my dad could work at HEB, which is like the big grocery store company, uh, down in, in Texas. And I just, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't know anyone in my, you know, neighborhood. Like I was just a very shy, painfully shy kid. So the thing that was always around me was a, like a little guitar, a Strat. And I kind of looked at it one day after school. I do remember I was sitting in my bedroom, leaning up against my bed on the floor. I looked over at it and I was like, I feel like this is what I should do. And so I picked it up and then I just kind of messed around. Um, and it just kind of developed from there. My parents would take me to church and I, I, I don't believe, you know, in that stuff. Um, but the cool thing about church was I could watch the band and I could watch the guitar player play and try and memorize what he was playing by watching him and then go home after church and do that same thing. So that's kind of how I learned. Um, but it just came from like really a place of loneliness is when I, is what kind of kickstarted my love of guitar. Cause it was just always there and it was fun and it was, it was a release. Um, so those were like the early days uh, of guitars. It's just, you know, when I was a young kid, just being shy and lonely. And that was the thing that got me through whatever I was feeling. And to this day, it's that way. Um, you know, like I'll pick up, I'll pick, I'll play drums and I'll pick up drums and, you know, start playing something and it, it scratches the itch and I'll start playing a keyboard and it scratches the itch, but it doesn't do the same thing for me that guitar does. Um, there's just something that about having like, I don't know, just the neck and the body and being able to communicate whatever I'm feeling with these two hands. Um, that's really, that's just always the way that I've been able to express myself um, the best. So Yeah. Is that? I wonder when you talk about the loneliness that um, that you grappled with. I mean, for sure, that was for me a big part of my young years. Um, and then I wonder when you sort of saw the camaraderie and um, the 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 group of people in the music community. When you sort of saw the how much of a draw for you was that? Like looking at this community of musicians that you could collaborate with and play with and laugh with. Like, did because I know for me that opened up like this beautiful new world. And I've seen you in a van with your band, and it's like this really sweet rolling, you know, bundle of inside jokes. I mean, how <laughs> how how much did that did that cure the loneliness, and how quickly did that happen? So much. Um... It's weird because I grew up in a very suburban atmosphere and I never fit in into fit, fit into it. Um, you know, like I often think if I had grown up in a more, you know, deep in Austin, I, I feel like I would have transformed into myself quicker. Um, but I remember the first time that I got to play with a band. Uh, it was just a bass player and a drummer. and um, I got to to play with it and 
it was crazy because I got, I got a rush that I never had before because I could finally like the, the bass part and the drum part actually came to life for the first time. And I, it wasn't just me. Um, so I was like, Oh my God, like, this is what I need to do. You know, this is the thing. Um, so since then there's like no looking back, like this is the path. This is where I'm going. <laughs> you know, um, it's funny too, cause people, you know, I'll see acquaintances like on the street and they're like, you still doing the music thing? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, there's no other option for me. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, still doing the- Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it was the first time that I played with a bass player and a drummer. It was the moment that that rush was like the thing that told me this is my purpose. This is the path, you know? God. You're a solid generation behind me. You're younger than me. And you really were the first, well, not the first one to come up because there were generations and generations before um, the 60s when music became so commodified. But yours was the first generation of musicians to come up without the old business model in place, right? Like you didn't have Electra Records throwing a quarter million dollars at every recording project you were doing and and stuff like that. And and um, so then you talk about your friends coming up and saying, so are you still doing the music thing? Like it doesn't offer the brass ring that it once yeah. did. I remember Bowie giving an interview once where they asked him, now that money is disappearing out of the music industry, what's going to happen? And he made a point people that stay and make music are the people that have no other choice. And I right. think that when I see you on stage, when you talk about like, this is all I know how to do, like, yeah, I see that that's, that's you, right? Like you have no other choice. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've always been the kind of person that, it, you know, if I want to go, if I want something, I'm going to do literally anything and everything I can to get it. Um, and so I just, I've had, I've had my eyes set on, Having a lifelong career for, you know, I started doing this in 2012. Um, and it's crazy because, yeah, there's no, there's no path anymore, um, at least with the generation that I'm in. Uh, I feel like, and I feel like there's almost like a mourning for the way the industry was. Um, like, I wish that I could you know, go into a studio for two months, live there and come out with a record. But that's just not an option for me because now there's no money to do that. Uh, So I have to go in, cut a record in 10 days, have all the parts worked out. There's very little room for creativity. Um, What's crazy though, is I finally, finally got a record deal. Um, I finally signed with this indie label called Crow's Feet Records um, after, you know, years and years of shopping demos and hearing, hearing there's, there's a few things that I've heard over and over. There's one there's um, from, from labels. So they'll, they'll hear the demos and they'll say, these are great, but I'm not ready to sign. Uh, You know, she's underdeveloped. And then there's the second one, which is, this, this is great, but I need to see her live to sign her. And then there's the people who just like are afraid to take the risk of, you know, throwing money at a, an, you know, unknown like me. Um, 
so it's it's been a journey there's been brutal feedback you know um but sorry my dog is going to <laughs> that's, that's everybody's right now <laughs> <laughs> um yeah god listening to those oh that's that just kind of breaks my heart they needed to come see you play ever come see you play because then how no, did they not sign you absolutely not absolutely not i mean the thing is it's like oh. i have learned though that even though there's not a playbook for succeeding in this industry <clears throat> for my generation i have learned though that if i just keep going something's gotta happen you know like that's that's what's the thing that's driving me is if I just keep making music that I want to play live and that I believe in, you know, eventually something's going to happen. And I think it's starting to, I think some, some stuff's moving and um, yeah, it's just uh, this industry for people in my generation is such a huge like boulder to move because um, mm -hmm. nobody really knows what to do. The people in charge don't know what they're doing, um, even though they want you to believe that they do. And then it's it's all a it's a mess. But the cool thing is, I get to escape from all of that by playing live. <laughs> um, so you know, not playing live is tough, but I do think it's going to come back. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff to write about. I think. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's funny when I when I think about um there was a time pre Dylan Beatles when people like you and I, the the vocalists, the front people, were not expected to write our own material, right? We were just we would just find songs and get handed songs by AR guys and interpret them or whatever, sing them, mm -hmm. just shut yeah. up and sing. And then something around Dylan and Beatles era people were sudden people like you know the front person was then also expected to create you know her or his own content like we have now we have to write our own songs too or otherwise what you're just a fraud now right. it's I look at I look at um your generation and and there's so many people like I'm thinking of Turnpike Troubadours or even I don't know, just so so many people that in their right in their twenty five to thirty five range right now, where they are also expected to start and run their own record label, complete with PR department, distribution, art department. It's crazy. Like you know, it's hard enough to sing a song. Forget about write a song. Forget about freaking distribution. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty wild. It is crazy <clears throat> because. This business has always been rough, um, but at this point, you know, all of the responsibility falls on the artist's shoulders. But the thing is, I don't know what it's like to have it any other way. Yeah. Um, I just know that it's a tough business. Yeah. Um, and the way that I've kind of navigated is that stuff. Um, well, you know, like I finally found a management team that has, you know, great intentions uh my wife used to you know she still does like day-to-day -day stuff for me um but i remember a few years ago uh she was like you know what i'm just gonna make a fake website and it's gonna be her Her last name's durden so she was like she goes by dirty um, which is funny because she's like the cleanest <laughs> Virgo you can ever meet but 
Um, she was like, okay, I'm going to call it dirty management. I'm going to make a legit looking website and we're just going to reach out to people and get gigs for you. And it worked um, because she would, it's the way that, you know, she would start an email is like, Hey, um, Emily Wolf's manager here. And it would sound really legit. Um, so it's funny. It's funny the way that you have to go about this industry and succeeding is like, you almost have to trick people <laughs> to get noticed. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I don't really, I wish that there was a playbook, but there's not. So it's like just about accepting that you have to carve your own path, you know, even if it's, if it means paying your friend $150 to do the artwork on your record or, um, you know, you just have to, I don't know, you just have to figure it out. Um, and it is wild though, you know, and it, like, that's like if Dell, if an employee at Dell, you know, if their boss was like, Hey, you got to do this job, but I can't tell you how to do it. I don't even know what the end result is. So, but just do it. <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's wild. It is so wild. Um, but I love music too much to not do it. I recently did hear about there. There's companies probably not unlike Dell that do hire people that they consider like geniuses, brilliant people. And then all they tell them is go figure out what you want to do and do that. Like think of cool stuff to do. I mean, if I was one of those billionaire type company running people, like I would a hundred percent do that. Just say like, you're so smart. Why am I going to tell how could I tell you what to do? Go figure out something cool to do and do it. That's cool. But I love that. I mean, that's, that's kind of our job. So uh, you made me laugh when you talked about your dad running um, grocery stores for all those years. And yeah. I, just because one thing I've always, since I've known you that I've really admired about you is it seems like your work ethic is so strong. And I just, I can just see that in a way, like you're approaching this, like such a job, you know, I mean, to hear you describe it, it clearly is a job. Um, but I just, I wonder, like, you know, every day when you wake up, you have to choose to keep doing this job, right? There's no boss cracking a whip. You are your own boss. And, um, and, and I know, from my own experience and from talking to you that sometimes it's tough and tricky. And I wonder when you run into hard days, those internally generated obstacles, like how do you, how do you handle that? How do you get through the tough parts? Mm, that is such a good question because yeah, I definitely have those days. I've had so many days where I'll text my wife and be like, you know what? I don't think I can do this anymore. Um, and she's always like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You, you can, you're doing it. So, I mean, I lean on my friends and I lean on my wife and my family a lot for it. I'm sure they get tired of, of that. Um, I mean, I feel like rarely do I have those kind of breakdown moments, but I definitely have them, uh, because there's, there's some brutal, brutal feedback um, that you can get that I've, I've gotten from, you know, labels and managers and all these, these people who are in the industry. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll take that to heart. And recently this last 
round of demo pitching that my team did for a label, I got some like some feedback that I got just kind of sent me into this spiral. And, you know, I was totally devastated for like a few hours. And then I slept on it and I woke up and I was like, this person's opinion of me does not reflect who I really am, you know, and what I want to do. I think, I think watching my dad go to work every single day and come home exhausted and be able to put two daughters through college, um, be able to, you know, own a house and, and do all these things because he worked so hard. I think seeing that growing up is really what formed my work ethic because it showed me like, Oh, if you just work hard, like, yeah, you can succeed. It's not luck. You know, you, you make your own life. You make what you, you want to get out of life um, happen. So yeah, it is. That is interesting. I never really thought about that, but I, you know, I, yeah, I guess I'm so much like my dad anyway, but now that you say that, it's funny how it's funny how um, work ethic can just be passed down that way. You know, I never really I always wondered, like, why am I so like, am I just so stubborn that I'm still doing this? Like, you know, like, do I like what's going on with me? But I think it is because of my dad and how much I love it. Well, what you described is how it gets passed on. It's modeled like you watched him every single day to you know do that. And and. Now you're doing it every single day. You wait, you know, you wake up, you work hard, you fight through the tough times. Yeah. Uh, so if you were to go back, like, I'm not sure exactly you were at 21, um, maybe still in college. Like, I don't know if you were doing gigs and stuff yet. But if you were to run into the 21-year-old version of Emily Wolf, but working in today's, maybe I don't know if we take the pandemic into account with this, you know, crusty old hypothetical. Yeah. But if you. 21 year old version of yourself working in today's world what advice would you give yourself oh my gosh that's so that's a great question um i want to know what you would do too uh oh my god i i spoke with suzanne santo the other day um from the band honey honey uh who has solo records out too and she's really great you would actually like her a lot in fact when you're in la Whatever. Anyway, we'll talk about this later. She's somebody you would like. But she, um, her, her advice to her 21-year-old self was, maybe chill out on the tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Thomas, who was one of my first interviews I did for this, his advice was, uh, don't smoke so much. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's good advice. I have taken up smoking. I need to not do it. But I have... I have told myself when shows come back, don't like, you got to quit. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I got to have at least one vice since I don't drink anymore, but, um, yeah. Which, how long has that been for you? It'll be six years in February. Yeah. yeah. Proud of you, dude. Thanks. I'm proud awesome. of you too. Yeah. Thanks. I'm, I just passed five. Okay. Um, Okay, but so you just you just very uh, um, sneakily got out of answering the question. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to. Um, so the advice I would give my younger self is: How do I phrase this? 
um, there's not going to be one big break is what I would tell myself because for the longest time I would, I would look at my career in terms of day and be like, well, what did I do today? Nothing, you know, nothing came to me, nothing. I I didn't accomplish anything. There wasn't a sink today there, you know, and it was pretty maddening. Um, And I thought that having one big thing happen would just blow my career up and I would just be set for life. And it's like, here we go. That's all I need to do. Um, But, you know, as a 30 year old woman now, I'm like, that was the dumbest shit I've ever, you know, like that. (laughs) I don't know why I thought that it just put me in agony. And so if I could tell myself, there's not going to be one thing that's going to make your career, like make or break your career. um, I think that would have helped me through a lot, you know. I have an idea of why you might have thought that is because Hollywood has been feeding us that eye forever, right? You're right. That's why. Well, and it might have been closer to the truth under the old business model, you know, where there were really, there were such, I mean, it breaks my heart, honestly, to hear you describing the management and label and the different people that are giving you this half-hearted or even negative feedback. But it really used to be such a situation, right, with gatekeepers. And there was like a boardroom full of old, fat, old white men on the (laughs) 75th floor of the Warner Brothers Tower, and they would decide, well, this year it's going to be third eye blind, and next year it's you know and it and i think it's better that that business model isn't what it once was Mm -hmm. but it definitely makes for more work you know it's day after day right you got to go to the grocery store every day yeah and i'm okay with that because i do feel like now i as an artist have more creative freedom than maybe artists did in the past um you know nobody's pressuring me to have you got to have a pop hit, you know, you got to, you got to sound like the black keys, you know, like all this stuff. Um, there's none of that. And I do think it's easier for me to put my foot down and say, you know, I don't want to do this or I want to do this. This is the way I want to go. Um, so that's a perk. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a perk to it. But yeah, it is. I mean, it's crazy. I feel like, one decade, the music industry was a certain way. Everybody was bebopping around to, you know, whatever, Matchbox 20. And then, you know, suddenly it became, all right, everybody sign sign on to Bandcamp and this is your life now, you know. Mm. I don't know. Very weird. But, yeah. You know, you roll with the punches. I think that's the only way to do it nowadays is just to fall down and pick yourself back up. Um, yeah. There's, there's no time machines. It's funny. I think about when my, my, my daughter Soleil is 14 now. And when she was little, like eight years old, six years old, I, I, I used to be on tour all the time. Right. And, um, yeah. and so I'd call in and I'd say, I really miss you. Soleil. I wish you, I wish I could be there to sing to you before you go to sleep, you know, put you in bed. And, and she'd go, well, Dad, you got to get to work on that teleport machine, and so that became our <laughs> that became our one of our running jokes. And so every time I would we would tell each other we'd miss each other, I'd say, "So how's it going? The work on the teleport machine?" She's like, "Well, it's tricky work." You know, 
Oh my God, that's so sweet. We got no time machine. We got no teleport machine. We just got to live this life that we got right now. I'm so proud of you, Emily. I just, oh. I, wait, I, sorry. I I think that comes out sounding wrong. I, I can't take credit for anything you've done. So I can't really say I'm, I'm proud of you. But as someone that, um, as your friend, I just got to say, I think you're doing such great stuff. And as someone who admires your art, I just think that you give me so much hope for music. And I'm so excited that you are in the world. Thank you for joining me on Wheels Off. That is so nice. You're the best. <laughs> I mean, just, that just means so much. I'm proud of you, too. Oh, shucks. Thank you. <laughs> well, hang in there. I think we're going to make it. I don't think it'll be seven years. I don't <laughs> I don't either. I think we're going to make it as well. And we're going to laugh about this in pff, hopefully a few months. Yes, a few months. And we'll, we'll, we'll share some bills. We'll rock out together. Yes, I would love that. Awesome. Well, thank you. Take care. You too. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.